Hello, and welcome back to 15 Minutes of Fascism, a sadly topical podcast covering the global rise of the radical right. My name is Dr. Craig Johnson, and this week I am continuing my mini-series on the many flavors of fascism. Uh, This week I am talking about fascist collaborators. Now, collaborators are people who worked with fascists. Uh, Originally, we're talking about people who worked with fascists during World War II. Uh, But the term can also be applied to people who work with fascists thereafter or up until the present day. Now, I'm going to be starting by talking about people who collaborated with fascist Italy and moving on to people who collaborated with fascist Germany, that is Nazi Germany, and then finally concluding by talking about people who uh, worked with the fascists in the present day uh, in the, you know, in the present world. So a lot of people worked with fascist Italy. Uh, One of those is uh, somebody named Ezra Pound, who I've spoken of in a previous episode of this podcast. Ezra Pound was a U.S. citizen. Uh, he was a fascophilist, uh, that is somebody who, who became enamored of fascism, who really loved fascism uh, and thought that it was the correct form of government for the world. Uh, he moved to fascist Italy before World War II and was extremely useful for propaganda purposes uh, by the Italians. Uh, he continued to write poetry, uh, a lot of which was just about how wonderful fascism is as a, as a sort of like uh, philosophical movement uh, about uh, human progress and power and righteousness, uh, which is the way that he talked about it. Uh, Ezra Pound uh, was eventually taken to a mental hospital in the United States after World War II uh, and died in, um, in essentially in uh, dis, uh, disrepute. You know, people, people did not like the fact that he worked with fascist Italy. Uh, the more common way to talk about fascist collaboration is people who worked with Nazi or Italian authorities during the war, uh, people who helped their would-be occupiers. So one example of a fascist collaborator from Ethiopia during uh, Italy's invasion of Ethiopia is Hale Selesi Gugsa, uh, G-U-G-S-A, um, who was a member of the Ethiopian imperial family uh, related to Haile Selassie, the emperor of Ethiopia. Uh, he collaborated with the invading Italians during, you know, or just before the beginning of World War II. Uh, he turned to the Italians when they invaded, and much like Ezra Pound, was used for propaganda purposes during this invasion. Uh, presumably, he might have thought that he would be granted control of Ethiopia if the Italians won, uh, or that he would at least be given some sort of like deputy-type position in an occupying Italian government. He was imprisoned by the Ethiopians after the war and was essentially put into house arrest um, by the post-monarchy communists uh, who ruled Ethiopia uh, in the aftermath of World War II. Further collaborators with Italian occupation in World War II are many people in southeastern Europe. Uh, which the Italians invaded sort of on behalf of the Germans, but also independently. Uh, these are both Christian and Muslim forces in occupied southeastern Europe, uh, including leaders of puppet states and also clergy, uh, both, uh, both Christian and Muslim. Much more prominent and much more common and arguably important are those who collaborated with the Nazi regime. Uh, these were essentially ubiquitous uh, in the places that the Nazis occupied during and um, just before World War II. Uh, They could probably be broken down into two categories, uh, military collaboration and civilian collaboration. If we're talking about military collaboration, there were people who collaborated with the Nazis as volunteers. 
there are upwards of a half a million non-Germans who served in the Waffen-SS, uh, which was the military branch of the SS, the paramilitary organization that was a part of um, the Nazi party and replaced their original paramilitary organization after they reorganized the party once they took power. So the SS was originally a sort of like uh, security branch of the Nazi party, but eventually became a separate army within the German state, uh, completely controlled by the Führer, completely controlled by Hitler and by the Nazi party. Uh, so uh, half a million non-Germans joined the Waffen-SS, uh, that is the wartime SS, uh, alone. Uh, that's not including people who worked with the Wehrmacht, uh, which is the actual German military. Um, as in, we're talking about units from every country that the Nazis occupied or had involvement in. Uh, we're talking from Portugal to the western parts of the Soviet Union, which the, so which the Germans occupied throughout a lot of the war. These are people who voluntarily joined the Nazi party, uh, either because they were fascists or because they were catching the rising tide and, you know, much like these collaborators in Ethiopia, thought that they might get some sort of preferential treatment if the Nazis were to win World War II. Uh, so these are just regular people uh, from these countries who joined an occupying invading force. Uh, oftentimes they were sent directly to the Eastern Front uh, to fight the Soviets, um, which is sort of what they wanted because most of the time these people joined the Nazis because they were strident anti-communists. There is also local independent military collaboration. Uh, so this means local police, local guards, uh, the militaries, the technically independent militaries of, you know, a puppet state. Um, this is also the collaboration of uh, local fascist organizations as sort of paramilitary branches of the Nazis. Uh, we're talking about the French League in France. Um, we're talking about the independent uh, Wallon and, um, and Flemish fascists in Belgium, for example. Uh, Pre-existing fascist organizations that allied themselves with the Nazis in an attempt to, you know, get preferential treatment, uh, to maybe be able to be leading their countries if this occupation ever ended. Uh, if you have been listening to the uh, See You in Hell segments of several of my previous episodes, you'll know that this doesn't exactly go well. Uh, usually they were spurred by the Nazis and probably would not have gotten what they wanted, even if the war had gone better for the Nazi regime. When we talk about civilian collaboration with the Nazi party, with Nazi Germany, uh, we're talking about um, the governments specifically of occupied countries working with the Nazis. So there are puppet states, you know, countries that were never occupied by the Nazis, uh, like Hungary or Romania. And then there are countries that uh, essentially were occupied by the Nazis, but had collaborationist governments. Some of the most prominent of these are Vichy France and Kisling Norway. Uh, these were in the sense, in some sense, you know, they were, they were independent administrations, technically. Um, they were independent administrations of peoples who were conquered by the Nazis. Uh, they were administered semi-independently, right? You know, they, they ran some day-to-day -day stuff on their own, but it wasn't like they were really independent, right? They were, they were really, uh, extensions of the Nazi regime. Uh, another example of civilian collaboration that you might describe as civilian collaboration, uh, are countries that were technically neutral, uh, but were in reality aligned with the fascists and with, uh, you know, Nazi Germany in particular. Uh, we're talking about Salazar's Portugal and Franco's Spain. 
which while they remained technically neutral in the fighting in World War II, uh, were definitely aligned with the fascists as opposed to with the Allies and especially as opposed to um, any sort of collaboration or agreement with the Soviet Union. Another example of civilian collaboration with the Nazis might include um, Jewish authorities in societies that the Germans had conquered. Uh, so for example, in the places that the Germans originally relocated uh, Jewish people to, uh, which were called ghettos, um, they established Jewish councils. These were often led by Jewish men, uh, sometimes prominent, uh, important, uh, religious, economic, political figures in these communities or in other Jewish communities. Uh, and they and their families got some preferential treatment for ensuring cooperation by the rest of the Jewish community uh, with the rules and regulations and oppression that the Nazis were inflicting. Uh, these people uh, used the fact that their presence somewhat moderated German behavior to justify their collaboration. Uh, and that is, a, that is an essential and common way that collaborators talk about their work with fascism and with the Nazis in, in particular. Uh, they said that, you know, like, well, if, you know, some, some, of their, some of their excuses would be like, well, if I didn't do it, somebody else would, right? Uh, or that they would say like, well, uh, if I didn't do it, then maybe their, their rule would have been more dangerous. Maybe they would have been more violent. Maybe they would have been more cruel. Uh, maybe I stopped some particular atrocities, right? That's how these people justified their behavior. Um, and they did have to openly justify their behavior because, of course, fascism and Nazism were defeated. Uh, this meant that after the war, there were massive persecution, uh, persecutions and um, uh, imprisonments um, and prosecution of people who worked with the fascists. Now, a lot of these people, you know, specifically we're talking like, like the leaders of fascist puppet states or the leaders of technically independent occupied states like Vichy France. Um, these people were tried. Uh, a lot of them were sent into exile or into um, house arrest. Some of them who more openly worked with the Nazis were executed. Uh, some of them summarily by rebel forces uh, or by freedom fighters who were um, liberating their country from the Nazis uh, in the mid or late uh, 1940s. Uh, there were also uh, relatively abandoned efforts to prosecute a lot of people, you know, those who worked with the Nazis or those who were Nazis. Uh, this, you know, is the process of denazification or a defascization uh, in Nazi Germany and Italy. Uh, however, these were largely abandoned uh, as the time after the war uh, made conservatives and right-wing people allies against the Soviet Union, right? Uh, however, I do want to note that uh, there were several specific and ongoing uh, persecutions of people who collaborated with the Nazis or who were perceived as collaborators. For example, the independent state of Israel did eventually pass laws to prosecute anybody who had worked with the Nazis during the war, uh, whether they were Jewish or not. Um, a bunch of other countries had those laws in the books for some period of time, uh, but eventually lost them. There was a specific persecution of uh, women who had had romantic or sexual relationships with Nazis or fascists in a lot of occupied countries. Uh, specifically, uh, these women were singled out socially and politically uh, and were forced uh, to have their heads shaved publicly. Uh, in Western Europe in particular, this practice was used, uh, for example, in um, liberated Netherlands or in the liberated parts of France. Uh, so 
public humiliation of these people uh, was conducted by the by the people who had liberated them from the Nazis. Um, and uh, unfortunately, most of these women uh, were not people who had, um, you know, in a relatively free way, you know, as free as as freely as one could have a sexual or romantic relationship with an occupying military force. Uh, most of these people were not in that category. Most of these people were women who were sex workers, uh, who had been employed by Nazis or by other fascist people. Um, uh, which means that this is an example of the way in which uh, the response to collaboration can sometimes result in uh, persecution and oppression itself. In the present day, uh, there aren't fascist regimes to collaborate with, uh, with the possible exception of when Golden Dawn, the fascist party in Greece, was the largest party in Greece, uh, but they never really effectively ruled their country, so, you know, how could someone be said to collaborate with them? Uh, however, the word collaborator, collaborationist, uh, is often used today to describe people who work with fascist movements. Uh, so that is uh, political leaders who are willing to form coalitions with them. Uh, that is political leaders who are willing to say that they might form a coalition with them. Uh, these are political leaders who use fascist people uh, in order to advance their own goals. Uh, so, for example, Donald Trump might be called a collaborator. Uh, however, this is complicated because usually, especially during World War II, the word collaborator was used for people who worked with fascists from a subordinate position, right? Uh, they worked with the fascists when the fascists were in power, as opposed to the way that it typically works in the present day when people work with fascists when the fascists are in the subordinate position, right? Uh, unfortunately, um, as fascism grows increasingly influential in a lot of Western democracies, we might see more and more of this type of collaboration. Uh, specifically, we could call it out as collaboration if a mainstream political party, let's say a mainstream right-wing party, works with a fascist party uh, or a party that is descended from fascist parties in order to form a governing coalition. Now, I am recording this podcast ahead of the uh, upcoming Italian elections uh, on the weekend of September the 25th. And this seems like it's possible here in Italy, right, uh, that a fascist party or a party descended from fascists, it's not officially a fascist party, um, but the, um, the, the Italian Brotherhood is directly descended from fascist parties. Uh, and their coalition members are people who are working with a political party that is directly descended from the Italian fascist party. Uh, those people, if they work with such a party, uh, and as and if that party becomes increasingly radical, they could easily be, be described as collaborators. All right, that was 15 Minutes of Fascism, a sadly topical podcast covering the global rise of the radical right. I'm Dr. Craig Johnson. Thanking Sleepy Kitty Arts and Sleepy Kitty Music for our intro, outro, and graphics. If you enjoyed the podcast, please like, share, and subscribe. Please leave a review on whatever it is you're listening to this on. Uh, and I mean that sincerely, right? Uh, if you think that this podcast is useful or interesting or curious, uh, which I hope you do since you're listening to the end of it, um, tell friends and family about it. Uh, share it, retweet it, uh, let people know that you're a listener. Uh, that is the only way that new people listen to this podcast. If you really like the podcast, check out my Patreon at patreon.com slash 15 minutes of fascism. That's 15 minutes of fascism, all one word. Um, you can also check out my, uh, my email, uh, at 15 minutes of fascism at gmail.com. Again, that's spelled exactly the same way, uh, spelled out all one word. I'm also on Twitter at hist of the right. That's H I S T of the right. And on Twitter as fascism 15. 
All right. Thanks very much. And I'll talk to you next week.